producer and I had to do something really serious this week, and we'll talk about it more in depth on patrons. <laughs> I so think if you I want know. <laughs> Did the girls talk to you about it already? Yeah. We had to tell them Santa's not real. Yeah. Before they went to middle school. They had really good reactions to it, I, I they dealt, understand. They dealt with it very well. Because they told me today, I picked them up today and brought them over here. And in the car, they're like, Aunt Katie, so we know. <laughs> it's like, know what? Well, which <laughs> and like, we know that Santa's not real. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, how are you guys feeling? They're like, we think it's really funny. <laughs> I was like, okay. They did really well with it. You can tell they were a little shocked at first. And they were like, we were pretty sure about the Easter bunny. <laughs> like, and they were like splicing it out, like all the different details. Yeah. Cause I like do it up mm-hmm. on holidays. And then I, their biggest concern was that I wouldn't do it anymore. And I was like, no, that's not going to change. Right. You'll still get presents. <laughs> like, like, the best part is now you're in on the secret and you get to help. Oh, with the, with the with younger ones. Like, oh, now you're so part cute. of the Santa secret. So, I love that. I was like, before they start middle school, tomorrow, they need to know. (sighs) Tomorrow. Time keeps on slipping. (laughs) Just not there. (laughs) Into middle school. Um, But we're not here to talk about that. No, we're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. We are a podcast where we talk about famous women from history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. No. (laughs) We are amateur historians, professional drinkers, and semi-professional Wikipedia-ers. I mean, honestly. (laughs) Honestly, we can Google up a storm. We really can. I know how to search. I know the keywords. I know where to put asterisks and where to not. It's great. (laughs) Um, But... Before we get into our story, you, we know that you're busy. Um, like crushing your own children's dreams. Exactly. So you're busy <laughs> crushing children's dreams. So you don't have time to look up what these women look like. No. So before we get into their stories, we're going to tell you what they look like so you can get a picture of them while you're, you know, telling your children that uh, the tooth fairy is not real. Oh, um, Unicorns gonna- don't exist. <laughs> we're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? So I, this evening, am doing the bad woman of the episode, who is Grace O'Malley or Grania. And there's no contemporary images of the pirates, but there's a large statue of her on display in Ireland inside and it's kind of like a stone white statue and then there's a copper version of it outside and in that statue she has a very angular face and she's wearing like a very um renaissance festival dress it's like Uh really long sleeves like wenchy yeah kind of like laced up the front um she's got on a cloak she's got like a belt with a dagger on it um but she's typically depicted in common lore as like a foxy, fiery redhead, mm-hmm. busty, on a boat, sexy 30-something pirate woman. <laughs> but that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> that's just how we depict her. So that's, I guess, all we know. Perfect. <laughs> Who's your woman and what does she look like? Um, mine's a bit less sexy. But she's um, a good woman But she's episode. a very good woman. She is a petite Dutch woman. Oh, I'm doing Corey Ten Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Or ten bomb. Um, she is a petite Dutch woman who had very um, dark hair when she was younger, which turned white over time. Her hair is typically pinned up into a small bun. 
she had kind of like a long oval face with like downward sloping features. Um, and she had a really shy smile with thin lips um, and kind of small eyes. In her older years, she had a bit of a hunched back and she could be seen wearing glasses, plain clothing, and just peeking over a pulpit of a church telling her incredible story. Mm. She's just a little old lady. Like, that's yeah. what she looked like. That's how I always picture her, yeah. a little old lady. <laughs> um, but I want to know what I'm drinking because it looks beautiful. It's like a perfect, like, rich red. It's almost a fall color. Yes. Oh, I did spell that word right. Sorry, I was looking at my thing. Were you editing your own, your I own wa- notes? <laughs> Even though I don't look back at my handwritten notes when I post the thing, I was like, oh, I don't want to misspell the cocktail when I do it on, you know... <laughs> Instagram, but I did spell it correctly. Okay. So this cocktail is called The Hiding Port. (laughs) That's cute. Based off of her book, The Hiding Place. Um, So it is an ounce and a half of port, an ounce and a half of coconut rum, a half an ounce of elderflower liqueur, an ounce and an ounce of orange juice. And you just shake that all up together. Cheers. Cheers. Really delicious. I expected it to be richer with the port, but I actually yeah. taste the Malibu much, much more. Yeah. It has, I'm getting like, I don't know where it's coming from. Maybe it's like the port mixed with the Malibu, but it's like a weird, like grassy taste. Like, yeah. It tastes almost just like a little earthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Straight out of a cornucopia, this one. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm trying to, I like it. Pinpoint that flavor, but I don't no, know. It's but weird it's nice. Too. It's interesting. Yeah, I guess I would almost list it as a would would you list it as a rum cocktail or as a wine cocktail? I don't know. I mean, port was the main ingredient for me, so I'd list it as a wine cocktail. Okay. Yeah. Because I taste more of the rum. Yeah. But, but um it yeah, the looks main more porty. Fo- yeah, the main focus is the port, um, which I feel like still comes oh through. Oh my god, the hiding port. It's hiding. Exactly. Can't taste it. <laughs> You can't taste it. Okay. I'm so done. So anyways, um, what do you know about Corey Tenpom? Okay. So if you are a patron, then you know that I read The Hiding Place as a child. And it's like the book that influenced my life. It's probably why I ended up teaching history. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that she and her family are not Jewish. They were Dutch. They're, at least I don't think they're Jewish from what I remember. They were clockmakers. They were hiding Jewish people. They got caught. I believe she went to Auschwitz, mm-hmm. maybe Bergen and Belsen. Mm-hmm. No, she's at a concentration camp. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Auschwitz and Bergen and Belsen are the only ones I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think her sister dies while she's there. Um, I remember a horrifying scene in the book when they first get there and they like strip them down and shave them. And she's like hiding a Bible. There's like mm-hmm. all this, lots of Christian stuff. She's a super good lady. And then when I was in middle school, she was definitely still alive because I watched interviews with her. Mm-hmm. So that's what I can recall from my time in Corey's world. Perfect. <laughs> um, so I got a lot of this from the Women Worth Knowing podcast, um, a like documentary on YouTube called Corey Tenbaum, uh, Faith Undefeated, and a Biographics YouTube video, um, and of course Wikipedia. All right. I've never read The Hiding Place. I really need to. Oh, it's I've so, never read it. It's I feel so like a good. fucking fraud right now. No, um, <laughs> you shouldn't. We don't read the books in a week. We don't. <laughs> we just can't. Um, okay, so Cornelia Tenbaum, a.k.a. Corey, was born on April 15th, 1892 in Harlem in the Netherlands, which is where I was staying when I was in the Netherlands. It is 
the cutest little town. We booked our place that we were staying at too late. So <laughs> we ended up staying in Harlem, which is like just a little outside of Amsterdam. Um, it's like a 15 minute train ride, I think it was. Um, but it is adorable. It has its own town square and it just holds a really special place for me because it was where Casey and I got engaged a thousand years a ago, thousand years ago <laughs> on the Prince Hendersburg bridge. <laughs> Still um, not married. I'm still not married, now. but it's fine. Oh, um, <laughs> we're so close. We're really, really we're close. Like we're less than two out. months away. <laughs> Listen, Delta, hold off. Hold Come off. on. <laughs> uh, she had three older siblings, Betsy, Willem, and Nolly, and her parents, Casper and Cornelia. Such cute names. Seriously. If I had fraternal twins, I would name them Casper and Cornelia. Um yeah. they were regular working class parents who loved their children and were very devout christians casper was a watchmaker and a jeweler he loved his job he was just endlessly fascinated by watches and clocks and little machinery and sometimes he would get a little too excited about his work or like a a timepiece that he was working on and he would like forget to charge his clients like they would walk out without without paying and he just wouldn't even notice (laughs) and together the family lived above his watch shop but eventually Corey's three older aunts uh Tante means Anne, so it's Tante Bip, Tante Johns, and Tante Anna came to live with them, and suddenly they needed a bit more space. So Casper bought the property next door to them, and they expanded their home. But it was a little weird because the first house had been built in the 1600s, and the new house that they bought had been built in the 1400s. Wow. Which is unbelievable that anything that old exists. Wow. That's really old. That's like older than the person in my story. It's so crazy. So um, (laughs) because both of the houses were built like 200 years apart, um, the levels didn't match up. Like the one house was only two and the other house was three. And there was an alley in between the houses. (gasps) So he built... What was there? An alley. (laughs) So he built kind of a connecting space between the two houses with this kind of like winding staircase. Um, But at the end of the day, like what all this did was it made the house just a really wild place with some really abnormal architectural features. And there was a lot of landing. So the person in the video was saying that like sometimes you'll be on a landing and you'll have no idea what floor you're on, like where you are in the house. This is like the end all be all of split level. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So... This will all come in handy later, obviously. Um, Corey spent the first part of her life um, in charge of taking care of her elder aunts and the housekeeping. Um, She was very involved with her family. Her family took a lot of people in. So she was just always like taking care of other people. Um, And she especially became a lot more involved when her mother suffered a stroke in 1918. So after this stroke, her sister Betsy took her mother's place downstairs in the shop. So now, like, Corey doesn't have Betsy to, like, be up there helping her. And then Betsy got a really bad cold. So she was sent to bed for this, like, extended period of time. She was really sick. So Corey took Betsy's place in the watch shop. And she quickly discovered that she loved working in the watch shop she just didn't know and she just really had a keen eye for like business and mechanics so she totally rehauled their financial situation 
She developed a system of billings and ledgers, and she also probably double-checked that the customers paid. And <laughs> and she was really talented with the watches. So, I mean, we should also mention that, like, World War One has just ended. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, her childhood was, like, also during a time of tragedy. Yeah. But thankfully, during World War One, from what I was, like, understanding, like, they the Netherlands kind of had a thing. They're like, look, we're not involved in this. And so they kind of like left the Netherlands alone. Chill. Which is obviously like not where it's going. Not going to be like that in no. like a second. Her and Audrey Hepburn were like exactly. next door neighbors. <laughs> Basically. Basically, they were best friends. Audrey Hepburn bought a clock from Corey Ten Boom. That's what <laughs> no, I heard. No, she didn't. <laughs> That's what I heard. Um, So after Betsy got better, she... Corey was kind of nervous and she was like, hey, would you mind if we like switched jobs and you took care of the elderly aunts and the sweeping and mopping and I worked in the shop? And Betsy was like, please, I am not cut out for this business stuff. I would be more than happy to switch with you. That's so cool. (laughs) So Corey not only like became pretty much like running the business. Um, She became a watchmaker herself. She even went off to Switzerland to learn from the best. And in 1922, she became the first woman to be licensed as a watchmaker in the Netherlands. No fucking way. I did not know that. I know. She's so cool. That is pretty (laughs) cool. That's pretty cool. So she's on her way up in the watch world. And... (laughs) TikTok, exactly, and she but not TikTok. No, not TikTok. Just no, TikTok. she wasn't like waving her arms in the air right. like she just didn't care. <laughs> Did the TikTokers even know about that? Um, <laughs> don't think so. Also, your daughter sent me a TikTok the other day. So Allie's kids got phones, and they text. They text me TikToks. She texted me a TikTok, and it was just a man pouring a box of snakes <laughs> out. <laughs> So funny. And I have like a deathly phobia of snakes. She kept sending me TikToks and I was just like, I typed back. I don't open them. I just go, Caroline, stop texting me TikToks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done. I'm done. I was like, I don't even have the app. How is this possible? Unless you Um, made it and it's really cute and it's of you. I don't want to see it. (laughs) I know that she was somewhere in the TikTok, like opening a newspaper, but I just couldn't (laughs) see the whole thing because there were so many snakes. She was doing a duet then on the TikTok. With the snakes? <laughs> I don't understand. These kids. So, uh, kids these days. Um, gen double A. Why can't be a watchmaker like Corey? Back um, the alphabet. <laughs> yep, gen okay. Making her way up in the watch world. <laughs> and she meets a man. I didn't have much info on him, but he was a local boy. And she was so in love with him. And he's in love with her and she just knows in her heart that like this is the man she's meant to marry. But then he shows up to her house one day for a visit with his fiance. (gasps) What? So apparently this boy's mother did not think that Corey was of high enough social standing for her son. So he made her marry him, marry someone else. Um, She's the first fucking female watch. Yeah. Certified. Who is higher than Corey? Nobody. Not, not literally not one female. Literally. <laughs> um, unbelievable. Also, this could have been before she officially became the watchmaker. Her timeline was kind of confusing to me. So if you're like a Corey expert and you're like, um, actually she was engaged before she became a watchmaker. I'm. You know, very sorry. Anyways, so (laughs) 
And adding to this devastation, her aunts, who she had been taking care of, passed away. And then her mother passed away in 1921. And so Corey's feeling, like, really devastated. Like, she's had, like, a rough fucking go of it. But her father told her that love is the strongest force in the world. And it really sucks when it's taken away. Verbatim, he said that. Just kidding. Um <laughs> Said, Man, that Corey, blows. Corey, sorry. <laughs> Shit sucks. Um, but he said, you just need to find a new outlet for your love. So as a lot of young Christian literature likes to say, God became Corey's boyfriend. Um, she became much more devoted and she really started focusing her energy on being a good person and helping other people. She said, I'm going to surrender the if only in my life. You know, she was like, I don't want to get caught up in the, if only he married me, if only I had more money, if only I was like, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. She was like, I don't want to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the people that are here now that need my help. Oh, what a good So person. mature. I don't know where this attitude comes from, Great Corey. Um, so she really like hunkers down in her faith and she establishes a youth club for teenage girls which provided religious instructions and classes in the performing arts, sewing, handicrafts. And then she develops a group for kids with intellectual disabilities in Harlem, helping them with school, like really tutoring them. really long ago for that. Really long ago for that. And it offer, also like offered them a place to socialize because like they, no one wanted to socialize with these kids. And like even the parents were like hiding them away out of embarrassment. Exactly. So, so like they weren't getting anything. This I think was like Corey's like, I mean, one of her real calling. She was like, no one is paying attention to these kids and they need so much love. And like no one is giving it to them. Mm. Um, so she was really focused on that. Um, and her family also housed missionaries and their families as they were passing through the Netherlands um, on the way to Indonesia because we know that they had a, like a direct line to Indonesia through the Netherlands. Um, but on May 10th, 1940, the Netherlands were invaded and everything turned upside down. Like to shit. The world went to shit. Absolutely to shit. They were suddenly under German law and... One of the first things that Germany did when they took over the Netherlands was they confiscated all of the radios, which I didn't even think about, so that no one in the Netherlands could hear what was going on in the war. Can't communicate. They couldn't communicate. But Corey's family managed to keep one. They hid one so they could at least like know what the heck was going on. They would listen to the encouraging words of their queen, who was in exile, but also the deeply troubling words of Adolf Hitler, because they spoke German. Corey was fluent in German, English, and Dutch. And she said his voice would get higher and higher as he spoke. And he sounded like a demon. Like she just has this like image of him like in her head as this demon. Um, and uh, then, of course, like the air raids are happening. There are bombs overhead. Like it's just horrible. And there's this like really famous story about how she was you know, being kept up by all the planes flying overhead. And she went down to have tea with her sister and her sister, Betsy. Betsy is like, I think she's not as famous because she didn't survive, but like she really was the anchor for Corey. Oh yeah. The book makes that very clear. Yeah. Like I feel like people forget about Betsy a lot and she is the, like the cornerstone of this whole story. Like 
Corey, like, I feel like Corey kind of admits she's like, yeah, I was like losing faith. Like, I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like Anne and Frank's sister, Margot. Yeah. Like, it's like she died first and didn't have the diary. So you yeah. forget how important it was. Like, I feel like Anne probably died because it was what, five days before liberation? Anne probably died when she didn't have anybody to survive for anymore. Yeah. And it was like Margot was the reason she was holding on. And it's yeah. like, you know, Corey's in that same situation where it's like, my sister is there. Yeah. And her sister was just the most like optimistic, positive person. And like, you know, they're like down there having tea and you know, like her sister's like, no, like everything will be fine. Like God is doing this. For, like this is a, there's a purpose, like whatever, you know, like we're going to get through this. Corey's like, okay. So she goes up to bed she tries to get into bed and something sharp cuts her hand. She turns the light on and there's just a pile of shrapnel in her bed. <gasps> it had come in like from, I don't even know the roof, the window. There was just shrapnel all over her bed from a bomb that had gone off nearby. A miracle that she wasn't in the bed. I know. And, and I she, don't even believe in miracles. <laughs> she went downstairs and she was like, Betsy, she was like, what the hell there? I, if I didn't come down and have tea with you, like I would be dead. And Betsy, of course, because she is like the more faithful was like Betsy, like that wasn't a coincidence. God's like plan. it is God's plan. He's like, she, he wanted you to be here for some greater purpose. So like, let's find out what that is. And then, so they're having the raids. They're seeing a lot of weird things going on. And then they started to see the outright discrimination of the local Jewish population. Stores were shut down. Houses were, were, were raided. And they started just, like, disappearing. And one day, one of their neighbors was just, like, outside. And his business is being attacked. And this mob is descending on his building. And they're about to turn on him. And Corey, like, rushes out and pulls him into their house for safety. And she calls her brother Willem and his son kick. And she's like, what do I do? And they're like, don't worry. Like we'll get him to safety because her brother had been helping Jewish people for a while, find hiding places. And he had been like helping them get out of the Netherlands and into a safe country. Okay. So he was like early on. He was early on in the Dutch resistance. Yeah. And he actually ran a retirement facility that he used as his base of operations. So he had this giant, like, facility that he would hide people in and then like he had transportation vehicles that could take them places like get them out when you can yeah exactly yeah Yeah, for sure so at this point so they did get that man to safety and uh, Corey had kind of said something like wow that was really great like what are you up to and then like her brother was like look i'm sorry but like if you're not going to be like really in it he's like i can't talk to you about it and she was like shocked yeah she was like shocked she was like what do you mean? And he was like, this is bigger than all of us. Like, I can't talk to you about the resistance if you're not like fully on in it. Like, it's just too dangerous. So where they were at now, Betsy, Corey, and their father had not gotten involved yet. They knew that it was a huge risk and being part of the resistance was really political and being political went against their personal beliefs. So they were like, because they're religious. Yeah. So like, you know, you just like can't get involved, but One day, this man came to them with a young Jewish orphan, and he was like, you need to help this child. I took him to the local pastor, like their fucking pastor, and he refused to help this child, saying that he just couldn't get involved in the resistance, basically saying like the kind of thing that they were saying. And he was like, can you help him? He has nowhere else to go. 
and the 10 bombs were like, oh my God. Like they just, it kind of kicked into them. They're like, oh my gosh, like we've been doing that same thing. Like how could you not help him? Like, and they just immediately like saw it and they're like, that's not how Christians should be. So they took the boy in. And after that, they were like, oh, we are all in on this resistance movement. So Corey got way more involved and she was really good at organizing. So she immediately put her skills to use and really formed the, this network of people in Harlem. Like there were like some people, but they like weren't quite as connected. And so she made this network of about 80 people, specifically young people, which really helped. So she had all these connections to like the kids in the area from the youth groups that she ran who were like Anglo-Saxon, whatever. So they weren't going to be like taken away anytime soon. You know, she had 30 teen boys, 20 teen girls, 20 men and 10 women that she organized and they helped her shuffle Jewish people and families around to eventually get them to safety. And then she starts kind of like looking around at her house and there's a lot of like weird unused space and the stairs are strange. So like the house is kind of a maze. And so she brought in this architect and she was like, can you help me like make this into a space where we could hide people? Drywall up some boxes. Exactly. Get in there. (laughs) So they created a space behind Corey's bedroom wall. This was, if you're like, looking at the house it's like the furthest up left corner like the absolute last space you could go um and that was to give them the most time possible in case of a raid that the people could run to because obviously like when they come in they're going to start at the lower level Mm -hmm. and then work their way up so that gave them the most amount of time this space could fit like six people it was really tiny it's the smallest thing i've ever seen it's like a closet yeah it's crazy. And you have to like crawl in. Yeah. Like, in a weird angle. Yeah. Cause so basically there was like a bookshelf and the bottom like section of the bookshelf, they had put a false door in that literally had like, w- like a dumbbell weight on it that right. it would lift up. They would go in and they would close it. And it was like standing room only. You're like standing between like drywall, like where the beams would be. Yeah. Like where the literal yeah. studs are in the wall. I was listening, I was watching one video and they're like, well, it had room for like a mattress and eight people. I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. Not the pictures like, I've not seen. Not the pictures I've seen. Not the- <laughs> I'm watching this guy stand in that space right now. You could not fit a mattress in there. <laughs> and so obviously it was too small for them to be in there all the time. You know, the most amount of time I think anyone was in there was 48 hours, which I mean, is a really long time. Um, so what they did was they would allow like everyone to just like hang out in the house and they installed a buzzer system in the house. That way, if someone saw the German troops coming or if they even came in the door and people were on the second floor, they had the buzzers everywhere and they could hit the buzzer from any room and tell the refugees to jump into the hiding place. So they are helping like about eight people a time and they would save 800 lives. Oh my god! Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. Hundred people. It's amazing. And so basically, they would let them in. They would wait in the house until they could arrange transport out of the Netherlands. And this buzzer system is so crucial because, um, you know, like obviously, like they didn't want them to just be in this little space all the time. No. So yeah. you know, they like would. And Frank's family was like literally, literally stuck. in their hiding place. Now, all but the they time. were like above a warehouse, so it was a little yeah. different. But like it was still small, and they could never leave. Yeah. Well, and also Corey had made like this kind of little deck 
on the roof. She was like, you can be on the deck. She was like, you have to sit like, you, you know, like duck but down. It had a space for them to get fresh air. She great. was really concerned about their well-being while their they were there. Health. Yeah, their mental health. Like we all should be during COVID. And this is the whole thing. She was a community organizer. So she planned a lot of activities for them to do to keep their spirits up. They would do work around the house to occupy themselves. And if the buzzer went off, they could be hidden behind the wall. They would do test runs all the time in 70 seconds from anywhere in the house unbelievable 70 seconds i can't even run out my front door in 70 seconds (laughs) and they were so particular in their routines and also like mind you these are not like the same group of people this is 800 different people had to come in and learn this routine They would come in and like, you know, so they would practice like, you know, if the buzzer goes, if you're sitting on a chair or if you're laying on a bed, flip the mattress, flip the cushion. Because if they come in and feel a warm spot on the bed, they'll know that someone was here. Just like all those little details that like I would never think of, you know, like things like they're like, oh, yeah, like if you're eating at a table pick up your plate because we can't have four plates with three people here like whatever like you know take it with you hide it but like I just never even thought of like the warm spots like just all this stuff they were so careful but one thing that they were not so careful about was the singing um Corey thought music was really important to keep people's spirits up so she and the Jewish families would sing and play music, which was like kind of dangerous because Super loud. it's really loud. Some of their neighbors were like, we can hear you in the streets. Like you're going to get caught. Like be careful, especially because they were playing Jewish music. Now, I think this is really important because one of the things that I love most about Corey Tenbaum is that she never tried to convert any of the Jewish people that she helped which I think is really important to say because she is this extremely devout Christian person who definitely like saved a lot of people, you know, you know, in the Christian sense later in her life, but she never tried to convert them. She was like, yeah, like you're Jewish. Let's play Jewish songs. Oh, it's the Sabbath. What do you need to do to observe it? She would help them observe the Sabbath when they were living with her because she was a good person. She was a good fucking person. And she was so respectful of their religion. It was just, incredible and i also found out from someone that like apparently her grandfather had made like a community group for local jews in harlem as well like and that was like way before any of this happened like in like the 1840s or something they they weren't there to be converted Mm -mm. they were there in in an emergency and somebody who was a lesser good person might have tried to take advantage of that emergency but instead she was trying to like build them up during an emergency yeah she was like like, she wasn't like oh being jewish is a problem for you have you tried christianity like Like, hope (laughs) hope let's keep the hope going we can get you out of here type shit exactly so one day they heard on their radio that the Germans had discovered a Jewish orphanage in Amsterdam. And they've discovered that they had planned on just taking all of the children inside and just killing them. They're like, well, we got a hundred like Jewish kids that we could just get rid of immediately. Like they don't have parents anyways. Like why not? Corey hears this. She springs into action And she's like, okay, I have an actual army of young teenage boys. (laughs) So she sends them into Amsterdam to rescue the babies. And apparently they went in, 
got all hundred children and babies out saving their lives. Just walk them out. So how did they accomplish this? Well, another thing that Corey and her family did was they helped Nazi soldiers who wanted out. She said that some Nazi soldiers would come to her and be like, I hate Hitler. I don't want to do this. I don't want to kill Jewish people. Like, can you help me? Which is a huge risk. Like, how do you know if that person is telling the truth or not? Right. But like, she has all these moments where like, God like comes through her. Basically, she describes and is like, that person's okay. That person's not, you know, like trust you don't trust, trust you, you. exactly right. like she was like it kind of became like just gut instinct almost yeah exactly she was having a feeling about their trustworthiness yeah and so she would bring these soldiers in give them civilian clothing and be like you don't have to do this anymore and she would also help them get out which is so nice <laughs> because it's what a good religious yeah. person would do so help then out. They would leave their uniforms with her, so she dressed up all these teenage boys as Nazis. And she sent them into the orphanage. That way, when they were taking the kids out, it didn't look weird. Isn't that incredible? That's really smart. That's really, really good covert operation. Yeah. And some up as stormtroopers. Exactly. Bring them out. She found each and every child a safe home out of that orphanage, and there was 100 children. And as word spread of their generosity and their kindness, more and more people sought refuge with them. But with this new influx of people into their home, they also had to find a way to feed them. (laughs) And like they're bringing attention to themselves now. They are. Yeah. And so the Tenbaum household, I mean, they only received food rations for three people. So they had to figure out how to get food for all of them. They can't starve. I mean, what's the point of rescuing them if they're going to starve to death? Right. So she made the bold and dangerous move of going to the man in charge of food stamps and food rations named Fred Currenstraw. Um, so he worked in the rations office and she, when she walked in, she had no idea where his loyalties lie. She had no idea whether this would help or be the end of everything. And so she went in and she said, I need more ration cards. And he was like, all right, well, like, you know, how many do you need? And she said, I opened my mouth to say five because it's like, yeah, five ration cards. Like, that's reasonable. She said, but the number that unexpectedly and astonishingly came out instead was 100. That is bold as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) And he looks at her and he goes, okay. Like, he just kind of got what she was doing. Like, they didn't say anything. And he said, okay. But it wasn't going to be easy since he had to account to a Nazi supervisor for every ration card he sent out. So this man, shout out to Fred, asked a friend of his to stage a robbery at his office and, like, beat him up. Like, he got hurt during this. He had his friend come in and beat him up. And so he had an excuse as to why there were 100 ration cards missing. And he gave them all to Corey. That's incredible. What? <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> Come on. But even though they had lots of help, they were still in a lot of danger. Um, the, they were lucky in a way because they were allowed to keep their phone because they had a business. But they knew the Nazis had wiretapped it. So they were definitely listening in on their calls and spying them because obviously they're like, 
your house is suspicious as fuck. Yeah, there's people in and out all the time. Yeah. What the hell's going on? Why are all these Nazis walking in and out of your front door with all these children? Mm-hmm. So they created a special code to use over the phone using watch lingo. So someone would call and say, hi, I need a watch repaired. And they could either say, oh, I'm sorry, we're all booked up right now, but we do have an appointments two weeks from now. And they're be like okay i know i can come back and like i can get this family some help in two weeks and if they wanted to check in on family members to see if they like got out okay they would ask things like do you have any swiss watches in stock and they'd be like nope we're all sold out Mm. we're like oh we have eight of them you know just like this code language that was like incredible and they also had a way of communicating to the whole town whether or not it was safe to kind of come around so um, they had a small triangular watch sign that they would put in the window if, like, the coast was clear and they could accept more people. And if the watch was down, like, they knew that it was, like, not, not time. Here can't come in. Yeah. But as time went on, things were getting more and more dangerous. Her nephew and sister, Nolly, were getting arrested. Um, and, you know, they got arrested and released, arrested and released. And more people were simply disappearing. Then in February of 1944, Corey hears a knock on the door. Uh, She had been battling the flu for a few days, so she reluctantly shuffles down to see who's at the door. She's, like, not feeling well. She's kind of feverish. Um, It was a man named Jan Vogel, and he was pleading with Corey to help his wife. He said, my wife has been helping the Jews and she was just arrested. I know a police officer who will set her free, but she, but he needs $600 and I know you help people here. Can you help me? She said there was something that seemed off about the situation, but she was like, I was so sick and like my mind was cloudy. I just like wasn't thinking right. She was like, you know, if I wasn't sick, I probably would have trusted my instinct and not helped him, but she helped him. I don't think she had that much money, so I don't know what exactly happened. Like, the information was kind of fuzzy, but she agreed to help him. The man left, and later that evening, Corey was asleep, sick in her bed, when the Gestapo came storming in at 5 o'clock in the morning. Betsy opened the door and was trampled over by the men, but thankfully she was able to hit the buzzer so that the Jews could hide. The Gestapo were indeed slowed down by the crazy layout of the house, So by the time they got to Corey's room, it was just her. Everybody had been able to hide. They then proceeded to demand information from Betsy and Corey. They beat them up until they were black and blue. And they were taken out to a car with their father and nephew Kick and transported to the local prison. The lineup before they entered the prison was the last time they would see their father. He died just 10 days into his prison sentence. And because Corey was sick with the flu, she was put into solitary confinement, which was really difficult because now she had no way of knowing if her family was safe or not. Or like what was happening at all. At all. Thankfully, one guard who knew her took pity on her and he snuck her like a really tiny Bible that she could hide and take with her into her cell. And weeks later, around her 52nd birthday... She received a letter from her sister, Nolly. She, the letters told her that like her dad had passed away, unfortunately. Um, it was really sad, but her dad had always told them that like time was in God's hands. And, you know, she was like, okay, well, like, you know, there was 
comfort in death for for Corey. Right. And uh, then she noticed the address written on the front was like slanted in a weird way. And the end of every line kind of reached up towards the stamp. And she's like, well, that's weird. So she peeled the stamp back and in very small handwriting, Nellie wrote, the watches are safe. Confirming that the Jews hidden in her house the night of the oh, raid had gotten away. Had gotten away. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. <sighs> so she's feeling good about that. And one day she's called out of her cell to speak with the judge who was like deciding her case. She walked in and he looked at her and he said, in my hands are pages and pages of your writing. Corey was an avid journaler. She wrote everything down. She had written down everything they had done, the names and the addresses of every Jewish person they had helped and every person in the Dutch resistance. He had all of it. Not a good idea. She was horrified. She was looking at those papers and she's like, not only is this a death sentence for me, but for all of my friends and family and all the people that we've helped. Literally everybody you know that was a part of this is now in trouble. And he said, can you explain this? Can you explain yourself? And she was like, no, I can't. And then he took the papers in his hands and he threw them into the fireplace. And he goes, well, it's a shame they got lost. No! The judge told her, I remember you from years back. You tutored tutored my child who is intellectually disabled. Oh, my gosh. (gasps) Yes! He was like, you were so kind to my child who, like, didn't have anyone else trying to help him. And I just, he was like, I can't let you be put to death after, like, I know what a good person you are. (sighs) So after three months in solitary confinement, she was taken out of prison and taken to a cattle car where she was placed with hundreds of other women and transported. And uh, somehow Corey found Betsy and the two were reunited. They were sent to a concentration camp in the Netherlands for a bit. Uh, This was a work camp where they discovered that Corey had a knack for mechanics and watches. So they put her to work fixing and building watches and other items for the Nazis. And she was so good that like she would mess them up a little bit. So, you know, they would only last a little while. So by the time they like actually got to the soldiers, they wouldn't work anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just like a little extra like middle finger to them. Shove it. But then D-Day happened and the tide changed in the war. Germany was suddenly on the losing end. So they were like, ooh, they might come back for the Netherlands. So they had to empty all of their Dutch concentration camps. Um, So Betsy and Corey were again put on a cattle car. And even though they were in total darkness with just hundreds, if not thousands of other people, They could just tell they were going to Germany, which was really scary because when people went to Germany, they didn't come back. No. They found themselves in the Ravensbrück concentration camp where they suddenly realized how good they had it in the Netherlands. Upon arrival, they were stripped and made to march naked in front of the SS guards for inspection. And she was so worried about losing that little Bible that she had been able to keep with her all this time. So... While they were searching her, like, with their clothes on, so this is um, either before or after they stripped, um, because they did get to keep some of their clothes, I guess. Um, 
she prayed and said, you made the blind see. So please make these men who can see blind for just a minute. And while she was entering, she hid the Bible in her clothing. The guard got distracted and just ushered her through without them finding it. Mm. So they get into their barracks. The guard in charge of them was this 28-year-old woman who Corey said must have taken extra lessons in how to be cruel. Like, they were so terrible. But oh, and there's a lace breakout. Isn't there lace coming mm-hmm. in the story? Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm so remembering now. this is the ray of light. So this horrible building that they were being housed in, it was so cramped. Women had to share mattresses. It was meant to hold 200 people, and it held 700. Oh, my God. It's like a public school. It really is. But thankfully, they had a horrible flea and lice infestation, which sounds terrible, but it was such a blessing to them because it meant the guards never came into their barracks. Because they didn't want to catch it. Exactly. So she and her sister were able to read their Bible and pray with each other, and they were able to like commune with other women and have Bible studies, and it just really helped them all get through it. And they would get together, and they would sing, and... There was one time where, like, the guard came in and the one lady was like, stop singing. Like, the guard is coming. And, like, something told Corey, you know, it was like, no, keep singing. So she was like, okay. And she kept singing. And the guard came in and was like, sing another one. And they just kept singing. Like, this is the whole, like, the story I'm telling, like, has nothing on, like, all the things that she's written. Because there are a whole bunch of, like, stories like that that are just, like, insane. So, I mean, it's just the positivity of a woman in a terrible situation. Can't even imagine. But Betsy's health was declining, and it didn't help that the guards would beat her frequently because she didn't work fast enough. And soon it was clear that she was dying, and in her final moments, she kept telling Corey, I can see it. I can see it all. We're going to have this beautiful house in the Netherlands where people who have suffered in the war can come and live with us. We'll help them heal and they can plant flowers in our garden and it'll be so beautiful. And we'll help people in Germany. We'll have a house there again for people to recover from this horrible war. And she said, and you, Corey, you will travel the world telling our story. She said, I can see it. And we will be released from here before the end of the year. Corey clung to these visions even after Betsy passed away on December 16th, 1944, at the age of 59. So close, too. She was like, all right, it's December 16th. She said I would be out before the end of the year. She was like, I just, it seems so unlikely. But then 12 days after her sister died, on the 28th, she was standing at morning roll call and her number was called out. She had no idea what it meant, but she was ushered into a room, given a set of clothes and a stack of papers saying that she was released. She didn't know why or how, (laughs) but she was just overjoyed to be getting out of there. It wasn't until years later when she actually went back to Ravensbrook where she looked at the papers and discovered that her release had been a clerical error. She was not supposed to be released. And one week after her release, every woman in her age group had been sent to the gas chambers. So she would have died. It's just crazy. It's an an absurd chain of events. It really is. 
So after she's released, she finds her way back to Harlem. I mean, she's released just into the German wilderness with like (laughs) nothing. Go on and prosper, child. Come on. (laughs) So she finds her way back to Harlem, back to the watch shop, which is suddenly very lonely. Yeah, I mean, she's there alone. I mean, and literally Netherlands in general was lonely. Not just her house. Yeah, the whole, just everything. It's like a tiny, tiny country. And like, it was decimated by this war. Oh, it was horrible. Um, Yeah, I mean, every person that we've covered from that area during that time, Jewish or not, went through a big ton of tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But there were still people who needed her. In the last year of the war, there were still a lot of intellectually disabled folks in her area that Nazis were targeting for execution, so she harbored them in her house. Yo, and, like, experiments, too, right? Oh, it's horrible. They were, like, choosing, I think, like, wasn't it was, like... Mendela was the worst. Yeah, I think it was twins, mm-hmm. um, LGBTQ plus people, yeah. people who are mentally disabled, mm-hmm. like, and just using them for experiments. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Not cool at all. Um, and of course, like they're really into like, you know, eugenics and stuff. So like, well, just kill all of them because we obviously don't want them procreating. Right, we don't like, want them to breathe. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then in September 1945, the war ended and Corey could turn her attention towards making Betsy's vision come true. She found this gorgeous home that this woman just like gave to her with this beautiful garden, just like Betsy had seen. And she opened up a rehabilitation center for survivors of concentration camps. But she knew she had to take care of one other thing. She was holding a lot of bitterness in her heart and like rightfully so against so many people and particularly um, Jan, the man who had gave them up. And of course, the SS guards who had treated them so poorly. So she decided that she needed to forgive them. She wrote Jan's a letter forgiving him and also like clearly laying out. She like said in the letter, she's like, you are the cause of my whole family dying. I am like the only one left and it's your fault. And she was like, but I can forgive you because like I'm a Christian. God forgave me. He forgives me for all the sins that I do. And like, so she was like, I'm forgiving you like through that. Oh, the maturity. I can't. Kitty, I just keep holding my breath. I know. (laughs) I know. And, like, even if, like, you're not a Christian, like, I think it is still so powerful that, like, I mean, just the power of that, like, forgiving this person who caused the, the death of your family, not just, like, yeah, I went to the concentration camp and I survived. Like, that's horrible in itself. But, like, he caused so much just destruction is horrible. I mean, forgiveness is absolutely the hardest emotion to conjure. (sighs) Yeah, it really is. And when she wrote to him, he was actually on death row because it wasn't just her family that he had betrayed. He had caused the death of 84 Dutch people who had been in the resistance. He was an informant. Mm -hmm. Mm. But Corey forgave him. And she forgave other Dutch people who had sided with the Nazis. And she offered rehabilitation services to them as well. After the war, local people who had aided the Nazis were kicked out of their homes. They had their heads shaved. 
They were barred from holding jobs. They're like tarred and feathered and shit. Like yeah, it was like really wild. Yeah, Um, and they had become homeless and destitute. And Corey was like, "I know they did horrible things, but like they're also people." And so she took them in and clothed them, fed them, and housed them, and helped them get back on their feet. Which are just like things that she like didn't need to fucking do. You know, it's just she's so kind well and she also she makes a point like in her like writing and stuff she's like look like i'm like not a super kind person like she's like i just do what god tells me to do (laughs) like and god told me like i need to help those people so i did i can support that yeah i support that (laughs) i'm not nice but like i'll help yeah (laughs) (laughs) which i always like because like there's also a moment where like a Nazi, like a former Nazi guard who like actively beat her sister, like ran up to her at an event after she had spoken and he like held out his hand and he was like, hi, can you forgive me? I don't know if you remember me. And she was like, yeah, I remember you. I saw you punch my elderly frail sister in the face because she didn't sweep the floor fast enough. Like, yes, I remember you. And he's like, do you forgive me? And she was like, I couldn't. She's like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't reach out my hand and forgive this person. And she was like, but I didn't have to. She was like, you know, and again, I, it all sounds very like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to like isolate people and be like, overly Christian, but like, this is how she, this is her real life. She was yeah. like, these are her words. She was like, God came through me and went into my hand and put it out for me because he knew I couldn't do it. Yeah. Like, I mean, you you know, it, it's moments like that where you're almost like, I'm literally speaking at an event about goodness and everyone's watching me. Yeah. Like, I need to, like, show up. Yeah. Like, even if my emotions can't show up, my body needs to show up and be here. Yeah. And that's what she was doing. Yeah. Showing up. Um. So anyways, all that's happening. Um. But there were more people to help. So she turned her attention towards Germany. There was an abandoned concentration camp that they wanted to do something with. So... Corey turned that into a rehab center as well and she painted the buildings like turquoise and she planted flowers and gardens and made it into an actually lovely place where people could get help and like get back on their feet that's great then she continued her message of forgiveness by she actually like set up meetings with um two guards from ravensbrook who had been particularly cruel and like forgave them publicly i i honestly wish anybody was as active at doing good as yeah, she was. I know. Like anybody at Literally all. anyone. Like could, could, could anybody actively care that much? I don't know. And then it was time for her to fulfill the final part of Betsy's vision. Corey started traveling the world. She went to 60 different countries telling the story of her family, the war, and God. And then in the 60s and 70s, she started writing books. Um, she wrote Tramp for the Lord. <laughs> Love it. Sounds weird now. I love it. <laughs> but she really meant like a traveler for the Lord. Nope. Like, you know, someone no, she didn't. who. <laughs> she did not. Just like someone who, like, literally, I mean, she gave, like, you know, she, that was her whole mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all about her travels across the world and included important messages of forgiveness, hope, and love and salvation. Yo, there was only one set of footprints. Yep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and then in 1971, she wrote The Hiding Place which detailed the true story of her and her family. And it was a bestseller. And then it became a movie in 1975. 
And she traveled all over the U.S. speaking at small churches, telling her story. And in 1977, she moved to California and settled there. In 1978, she suffered two strokes. The first rendered her unable to speak, and the second resulted in paralysis. And then in 1983, she suffered a third stroke and two weeks later passed away on April 15th, 1983, on her 91st birthday. (gasps) She died on her birthday. She was knighted by the Queen of the Netherlands, the Yad Vashem, Remembrance Authority in Israel honored her by naming her Righteous Among the Nations. And, of course, her house in Harlem has been turned into a museum. Casey and I were outside of it. We didn't do a tour. Um, It was one of those things where, like, they only had, like, two tours a day. You had to buy tickets in advance. And you also, like, you either had to buy tickets in advance and print them, which we didn't have a printer because we were in an Airbnb, or you had to just, like, wait in line for, like, a really long time for the museum to open up. <laughs> so, I know. We, like, really fucked up. We, like, didn't go to the Anne Frank house, didn't go to the Corey Tenbo yeah, Museum, even though we're staying in her neighborhood. We, like, saw it from the outside. Yeah, we saw it from the outside. It was beautiful. Um, all in all, she is not the most famous name in the history of the Holocaust, um, but she is a really important one and, like, such a good example of like what good Christian or Christian people are supposed to be. Right. And I just really appreciate her. And that's the story of Corey Tenbaum. That's great. Oh! I mean, I always like, I get shocked when people don't know who she is just because I knew who she was before I knew who Anne Frank was mm-hmm. just because I read the books out of order. Yeah. But, like I, I, it's such an incredible story and it is so like, you know, if you're not a Christian, you can definitely like see the spirituality and all of it where yeah. it's like, I'm going with my gut and these things are happening and I don't know why they're happening and why I can tell what I am and I'm not supposed to do. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Again, like even if you're not Christian, like I feel like you can really appreciate the spiritual element of this because like all of this is bananas. And it's perchance. Yeah. Right? Like so many people died. And that's the thing. Like to her though, like it wasn't chance at all. She was like, God is doing this because like I'm supposed to be helping people you know like that's one of the things I kind of like about her story is like she was never like no it wasn't like it wasn't a coincidence that I wasn't in my bed when the shrapnel came in right that you know I survived the camps that I did this that I did that that what that that I helped the judge's kid years ago right like a decade ahead of time yeah you can't plan that shit you can't plan it that no. that a clerical error caused me to be released from a concentration camp exactly. like yeah it's wild so what a great story i'm ready for more drinks well, that was our world war ii story for the season <laughs> we've got like a list that we run down yes <laughs> so we'll be back with a, a pirate, pirate. <laughs> Welcome to Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And if you're a history nerd, or even a history hater, this is the podcast for you. Even if history was your least favorite subject in school, we can guarantee you will like this podcast because we talk about all the things that your history textbooks did not. Things like how the Bonnie Prince Charles and his Jacobite uprising was 
was a bit of a disaster. Yeah, or how the pharaoh Akhenaten was so disliked by Egyptians that they literally purged his name from nearly all of their records and pretended like he had never existed. And we do all of this while drinking and rating a custom-made cocktail specific to that week's topic. So grab a drink, take a seat, and hang out with us each week as we learn all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. We are back. We're back. Part totally different two. kind of drink. Part yes. two. We're on the bad girl part of the episode. We're on our pirate. So, I mean, we've got to just take a tally. We did a queen. Uh-huh. We did a first lady. Uh-huh. We did now uh, somebody from World War II. Mm-hmm. And now we're doing a pirate. That's a pretty good streak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who of did like, you do last week? I forgot. I did... Valentina Tereshkova. So oh, we did a so we did an astronaut. An astronaut. She We're doing a, really great. She wasn't a scientist. Okay. Oh, um, right, right, right. She was an aspiring was like, train conductor. <laughs> <laughs> she was a she was a parachute artist. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So we She did just, eventually become an engineer, I think, but Yeah, she was a cosmonaut. I think. We're checking off the boxes. It's yeah. really important. Um, especially in a season ten banger season that we hit all of the big check marks so hard so we're on pirate <laughs> <laughs> um do you want to know what you're drinking i do this is called land and piracy Ooh, like okay. the sea. because i've been really working on okay so my favorite pun of all of our cocktails of all time was episode two <laughs> when you called ada lovelace's drink the orange analytical engine oh no it's the analytical, the analytical orange <laughs> That was so funny, and I cannot get over it. So it's fine. Um, All right. You know, what's great is your cocktail is named kind of in tune with my favorite pun of all time, <laughs> which is David Sedaris owns a beach house that he named the C-Section. Oh, see, that's really funny. <laughs> yes. I like. I feel like boat names the are like C-section. that. C-Section. <laughs> he was like, yeah. my... My dad was horrified. He was like, I'll never come there if you keep that name. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's perfect. Um, so Landon Piracy is the name, and it is Iris whiskey, of course, mm-hmm. and um, coffee liqueur, almond liqueur, um, lemon juice, and simple syrup, but then it's sprinkled with sugar on top and poured over ice. Now, I used Ooh. almond liqueur because in the actual – Grace O'Malley cocktail. They use a thing called ogret or ograte, which is like an almond or is like orgia. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it has almond to it, but okay. I was not going to go buy it. Perfect. So <laughs> like, Cheers. Cheers. Mm. it tastes like, so you have like the almond and the coffee. It's so weird. But then there's like <laughs> this fruity taste to it. It's so weird. It's <laughs> wild. And I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, I really like it. It's surprising the way it tastes. Yeah. Like it, it's very confusing on the palate. Same as yours. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. Okay. That's funny. Um, can you tell me what you know about Grace O'Malley? Okay. So I know she's a pirate. Yeah. I feel like she's the one that Queen... Mary of Scots hired so close, but yeah, okay, we'll get there. The other one, uh, so not Mary Queen of Scots, Scots Queen, whatever. The other one, the other queen, the other queen at the time that had the big fight. 
I feel like she hired her, and mm-hmm. she was like her personal pirates. Um, but that's really it. I don't know anything else about her, so I'm super curious because she has this name that you're like, oh, I know Grace O'Malley. Yeah, but I don't actually know Grace O'Malley. She's definitely the most, I would say, the most famous female pirate. Obviously, on this show before, we've done Ching Shi, we did Mary Reed and Anne Bonny, but this is the one where it's like, if you are going to do a female pirate, Grace O'Malley is the one, like the pirate queen, right? Because I mean, also she's Irish, so there's like a lot of background with piracy and being on an island and all the shenanigans, but. Yes, her most powerful story, the most famous story, is her meeting with the Queen of England. But we will get there because her life is bonkers. I love it. (laughs) So most records about her life come from England. So there's not a lot of Irish sources that exist because at that time, Ireland was still very, like, Gaelic in nature. And a lot of that got destroyed when England took over. So our records about her are from England. Also... I got this from there's an Ann Chambers biography that came out in the 90s. Um, the History Chicks did an episode. There's a children's book called The Pirate Queen. Um, Rejected Princesses has a thing. So there's just a lot yeah. on her. So Grace O'Malley is definitely her anglicized name during her life. She went by Grania. So I'm going to call her Grania during the story because okay. English people called her Grace. Grania. So was that like her, like you said, Gaelic name? Yes. Okay. That was like her actual given name that people called her her entire life. Um, and Grace what, is what was given to her in English records. Okay. Kind of like how we renamed Pocahontas like Rebecca. Yes. So we're, I might switch back and forth, but my goal is to call her Grania because okay. that is her actual. That's her actual name. It's her name. Yeah. <laughs> um, but her last name was still O'Malley, but spelled with a lot more vowels and consonants. <laughs> um, so the story, obviously, of her parents and her husband and her children, I'm going to use all of their anglicized names because they're gaelic names aren't as well known so like her dad's name was owen but it's not really owen and her not mom's name is margaret but it's not really margaret yeah does that make sense i'm just gonna kind of absolutely also how bananas is it is it that clive owen is playing bill clinton i know in american crime story i know also the photo shoot that beanie feldstein and monica Lewinsky did together is perfect i mean Monica Lewinsky, <laughs> Monica Lewinsky being a producer on that is bananas. It's everything I've always wanted. Also, Edie Falco as Hillary Clinton. What could be better? I mean, I don't know what the heck this is streaming on. If I can get a, it or Marjorie's not. Marjorie's already watched the whole thing. <gasps> Has she? Did she like it? She said it was great and I need to watch it immediately. So. Perfect. Okay. She so. said it's very dramatized. <laughs> not real. <laughs> Get that Linda trip. Woo. Okay. She's dead now. Okay. <laughs> Grania was born in Ireland around 1530 when King Henry VIII was the king of England and he held a lord title in Ireland. She grew up in one of her many family estates on Clare Island under a semi autonomous Irish people. They were very like Greece city state where the island of Ireland had all these different clans and they weren't owned by like an overarching government, but they operated okay. kind of together sometimes. Okay. Very pagan of them. Yes. Super <laughs> pagan. And like this would change later in um, Grania's life when the Tudors really deepened their interest in Ireland. Okay. 
She is um, an only child and is raised as such, even though her dad does have another child with another mystery woman, but her half-brother's out of the picture, so I'm just leaving it over here. Okay. Her father, who's known as the O'Malley, was the leader or chief of their family clan. It's weird. Some sources call him Lord, but I felt like that was too English, and some sources call him a dynasty, which seems too Eastern Asian. And then some sources called him a tribe, which seemed too North American. So I'm just hmm. going to go with clan. There we go. It seems Irish. Okay. Right? Okay. Sure. Even though Ireland is an island, their family is one of the only seafaring families, which I found pretty surprising. Most other families and clans stayed on dry land. Um, her mother, Margaret, which I think is Maeve in the Gaelic version, um, oh, I love that name. M-A-E-V-E, Maeve. Maeve Higgins is one of my favorite female comedians. She's so funny. It's and a I'm really cute I'm obsessed name. with her name. <laughs> I love an A-E combo in a word unless it's Sean. <laughs> Agree. Well, because <laughs> that's an, E-A, not uh, A-E. I know, I know, but it's E-A and I don't like it. Okay. Uh, she was also an O'Malley and some sort of cousin of her father, so Grania's definitely inbred. I don't know how close of cousins they were, so... Okay. That's anyway. Um, her dad is pretty stinking wealthy. Firstly, they would charge people to fish in their territory because off of their direct coast, they had a lot of fucking seafood. Okay. Second, they would charge people for safe passage, which you could read this two ways. One, the waters were really like treacherous. So they were like, Hey, don't go on this path. Pay me and I'll tell you where to go next. Okay. The other way you could read it is they were like, we won't let you be like, be five, oh, five. Right. We won't let you pass unless you pay us. So that's another way you could read it. I don't know which is true. Um, and then they also straight up pillaged and looted ships. Piracy, okay. for sure. Mm -hmm. The O'Malley clan was very notorious. So other clans in Ireland were like, we're like totally not going to trade with you at all ever. So they were like, that's fine. We'll, we're really good at boats. So we'll just tr sail. And they traded with France and Spain and Portugal and England. They had obviously seafood, but then the area of Ireland where they lived, they were really rich in natural resources. They had furs, they had farms, they had cattle, they had timber. And all of the um, sailing to other countries made them really, really comfortable on the water. So mm. it's like, you know, when you can do something on autopilot, that's how they felt about sailing. Oh, I want to learn how to sail so bad. I am not interested in learning how to sail. Like I, a sail sailboat? Oh, yeah. I looked into getting Casey and I lessons. They're dumbass expensive oh, in I'm Annapolis. Sure they are <laughs> only rich people go on sailboats. Yeah, I looked it up. It's really expensive. Oh, my God. It's Remember when Andy did that on The Office? That was terrible. Uh, I hated that storyline. I'm going to be honest. It was really dumb. He should have just stayed and dated that girl who liked him. Yeah. Was and instead, they just made her into new Pam and what's-his-face into new Jim. Mm -hmm. So dumb. Uh, let dumb. us know on Patreon if you agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, or on Instagram. Other... People that aren't patrons can also weigh in yeah, on yeah, yeah. the You're uh, allowed to say things on the Aaron Andy sailboat situation. <laughs> <Aaron> Andy. <laughs> um, but her family motto because of this was invincible on land and sea, which is why the cocktails land and piracy. Mm. Um, there's a lot of castles in Ireland also, and her family had like a line of them down the coast of their region. But these are not like pretty cinderella castles these are like a column of stone with like <laughs> shit inside of it and like where you would protect people like on bethany beach in mm -hmm. delaware like mm -hmm. just straight up more column. like a just factual turret right 
Yeah. Solo <laughs> turret. <laughs> That's all it was. <laughs> Solo turrets up the coast. Um, so should we call them castles? Uh, or should we call them stone tubes? Uh, it's, it's a silo. A silo. A, silo. <laughs> a stone silo. So there's all these stone silos. And because her dad is super wealthy, all of them are filled with exotic products from all over the world. Because they mm. sailed everywhere. So they're just full of shit. Like seashells and parrots. <laughs> seashells? And, I, I'm serious. People <laughs> spent a lot of fucking money on seashells back then. They, it was like <laughs> currency. Anyway, her mom's family was also from money. So they were really well off. Her life is... Pretty much all speculation and folklore, except for her meeting with the queen, which we, like, have on record, because she was villainized and romanticized. First, she's a woman, so their stories aren't told correctly. Second, it was in the 1500s, so nobody knew how to write on fucking paper. Um, Next, uh, the English were the ones taking over them, and we know how English like to botch stories. And finally, she was a pirate, and we know how they love to romanticize pirates. Oh, yeah. So what I'm telling you is everything I'm saying is a lie, (laughs) and I don't know what actually happened in Grania's life. Okay. It does seem that there was a group of Catholic friars that were living in the O'Malley territory that they either paid or were the family was protecting and they may or may not have been responsible for Grania's formal education. Okay. We know she was very smart. We know she spoke multiple languages. We don't know where she picked that up from, but she's very bilingual. She's quadrilingual. She can talk to all the people she's going to see. I love that. Yeah, I want to be bilingual so bad. She's like the because she's actually going to all these countries all the time. She has to interact in all these ports, but she's not going yet. Okay, We're getting not going yet. But she's learning from the boys. Right. As a child, she all she wanted to do was be on the sea with her dad. Local folklore says that when Grace was young, she really wanted to go on a trading expedition with him, and it was really atypical for girls to do that. And he just came up with an excuse. His excuse is your hair's too long; it'll get tangled in the ropes. And she's like. Well, if that's the only barrier to my success, this is a simple solution. And right. Chopped all her hair <laughs> oh off. Oh, my gosh. And her parents are, like, super embarrassed. And this earns her the legendary nickname Granuel, which means Grania the Bold. <laughs> um, so you'll see that in a lot of sources as well. The word Grania is, like, extended, and it's saying Granuel. Many girls at the time were fostered. So what you would do is your clan was trying to make right with another family clan. And you would say, like, let's switch daughters. Because if you did that, then you wouldn't attack that family's territory. It was like Oh, yeah. Kind of like the latest season of Fargo. Right. That's what they did with the mobs. The Mm. mobs would trade firstborn sons. Or, like, baby sons. I don't know. Some kind of sons. And they'd be like, like, all right. I'm not going to fuck with you then. Exactly. I'm raising your kid. This is what they're doing in Ireland. They're fostering. Interesting. One another. Um, But... This should have happened to Grania, but it seems that her parents ended up really valuing her determination or were really fucking annoyed by her. (laughs) So one story is she stowed away on her father's ship and waited until they were far enough off land that she could pop out and be like, surprise, I'm here. And he was like, you got me. That's one of them. And then the other story is that she walked around like the Simpsons children and was like, can I go with you, dad? Can I go with you, dad? Can I go with you, dad? Until he was like, fine. Anyway, she ended up on board (laughs) a ship. Um, and none of the men on board are going to talk down to the big boss who's paying them. So she's just allowed. I love that. Now she's <laughs> learning geography, oceanography, uh, navigation, how to drink, how to spit, how to curse. She is like with the boys. 
Another interesting folklore about her is that when they would get into confrontations with the English, she was supposed to go down under the deck. Um, but at one point there's a confrontation and the like deck get under down under gets blocked. So instead she climbs up the mast to hide. Um, but then she sees somebody like creeping up to like sneak on her dad with a knife <gasps> and she jumps from the mast and like tackles this guy <sighs> before he kills her father. Love that. But you can only be a cute little girl under your father's protection for so long. So at 16, she, like a good little girl, she was married off to another prominent clan, the O'Farities. Um, his first name, I believe, was Donald. The English version, I don't know. Donald O'Flaherty is what I'm going to say, but I don't know if that's his name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> his clan's motto was favor the bold. <gasps> and it was a great political match for her dad. And, like, she would then, oh, because she was an only child, she would then inherit, like, his lands and her lands. But here's what's interesting. Women in Ireland were sent with a dowry, but divorce is super common in Ireland and allowed. And early death is super common. So if you go with a dowry, if you divorce your husband or if he dies, you get to leave with your entire dowry. The family does not get to keep it. So... She's going off to this other seafaring clan. They're like, you can't be on the ships. That's not your thing. And she just decided, you know what? I'm going to transition into life as a woman in an Irish clan. And she does. She has three children with him during their marriage, two boys and a girl, Owen, Margaret, Murrow. Um, her husband's gone all the time. She's getting kind of bored of raising the kids and birthing the kids and sweeping the floors and whatnot. And there's some extra ships in the dock. And she's like, oh, my God, why don't I just, like, have a little bit of fun and power? So she starts hanging out on the docks and building up a little crew of people from her husband's clan, like the O'Flaherty clan. She's kind of taking them as her own men. Mm -hmm. She's super charming. She's powerful. She took up space like a man. And in the Irish culture, if they don't respect anything, they respect bold people who say what they want. Yeah. And that's what she did. Um, so these men kind of become her little clan. She would take a couple out on a small ship at a time. And they were, look they were looking for ships that were going to Galway, which is like a local trading town. Mm -hmm. And they would loot and pillage the ship and then quickly sail into these super dangerous rocky waters, which she was good at getting into because she had done this forever. Now, also, she would murder resistors. So it's not like this is all roses and, and rainbows. Um, and this is happening so often that Galway actually calls England to complain. And when I say call, I mean wrote a letter because they didn't have phones. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they are calling their oppressor. They're like, this girl is off the charts. <laughs> like, you gotta <laughs> fix this. Like, um, Dad, she's ruining our fun. I, <laughs> how could you let this happen? A woman at sea? The way the History Chicks explained it is that Galway was like District 2, so they felt comfortable complaining to England because they were like <laughs> the favorite district. That's and so like cute. she was like from the outskirts and nobody gave a shit what she was doing. <laughs> what are they, the luxury district? I guess. <laughs> yeah, Galway. Um, okay. So now back in the day when she was 11, Henry VIII had declared himself king, but he had enough women to kill in his own home, so he didn't pay any attention to her in Ireland. However, when Anne Boleyn's daughter, Queen Elizabeth I, took over, she really began to care. 
she started siding with certain Irish people who um, who were siding with her. So she made a minor O'Flaherty have rights over her husband's like Godborn territory, and drama ensues. Oh no! In 1565, only nine years after her marriage, there's this inner outer clan fighting to control this place called Cox Tower because the guy they called the Cock. Not joking. I. This okay. is serious. <laughs> and the, the cock in the stone silo. Uh, yes, the <laughs> cock in the stone silo. <laughs> Story gets better, don't worry. <laughs> um, and her husband, Donald O'Flaherty, ends up being killed in this ambush fight. Much to everyone's surprise, she shows up with her crew to fight back because she loves getting vengeance against people who kill her husbands. So <laughs> she goes back, gains control, and to this day, it's known as Hen's Castle <laughs> instead of Cox's Castle. I love Isn't that. that great? <laughs> to this day! Or Hen's Tower, one or That's the other. It's fine. Perfect. I love it because she went back and got it. But now she's a widow. She returns back to her former territory, Clare Island, where she was born. She fosters out her sons to neighboring clans. She's got to start over to get all of these connections. Um, when she went, though, a big chunk of the O'Flaherty men left with her. They were like, we're coming with you. And on the way home, she picked up hundreds of men from different clans. And they just say she's so charismatic. That's all we know about her. People would hear about her and come and volunteer. And we don't have a lot of direct quotes from her, but this is one that lives on in infamy. She says, I would rather have a ship of Conroy's and McNally's than a ship full of gold. She valued her employees. I loved that. She she cared about them. <sighs> That's incredible. And it's like why people wanted to come and work for her. Yeah. At the end of a period of years, she owned up pretty owned pretty much all of Clue Bay with these guys, and they had set up their own castles, stone turrets, stone silos across the shore. <laughs> there are still two left today that you can go and see. Um but then she hears of this shipwreck. She's a widow. She wants to go salvage some goods. And she pulls up. Right. And there's. <laughs> Parallel parks right into that shipwreck. <laughs> and there's literally a cute boy sitting on the rocks. <gasps> on the rocks. Like no. a goddamn siren. Yes. Okay. Um, and she. He's her lover then. Um, she may have had a kid with him, but their affair was brief because he was killed by like oh, some neighboring no. people. So seeking vengeance, Perfect. <laughs> she attacks the castle of the killer and killed them back. <gasps> and then she took all their shit and their castle and becomes known as the Dark Lady of Donna uh, from that group of people. Okay. Um, now there's this also this other tale that she was traveling through Ireland. And if you came upon a friendly clan during your travels and you needed lodging, you're supposed to like on the door and they go, is, knock? That, is that how you knock? More sounds like a horse. <laughs> More sounds like a horse clip clopping around. I was, doing, I was doing that one Christmas song with it's... the nagging in the background. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, let's go. You know that one? Yeah, and that's a horse running around. I know, but it's not what I meant. So... That is two coconuts for sure. <laughs> True. Um, so she goes up to this neighboring, the, I think the host castle or hoist castle knocks. They lock her gate. <laughs> <laughs> Like a horse to a carrot knocks on that door. 
<laughs> I love it. She knocks. They lock the fucking gate. And they're like, sorry, we're eating dinner. Can't come out right now. And she's like, yeah, I just want some of your fucking dinner. And they're like, sorry. So then she, like, takes their grandson hostage and is like, I'll show you. And they're like, we will offer you so much money for our grandson back. And she's like, I don't want your money. I want to teach you a lesson. From this point forward, your gate stays unlocked. And you put an extra plate at your table when people need hospitality. And then gives their grandson back. No harm done. To this day, the castle leaves the gate unlocked and they put an extra plate on the table. 2021, <laughs> Katie. 500 years. Well, we don't want the goddamn ghost of Grace <laughs> O'Malley or Grania O'Malley coming back and fucking their shit yeah, up. Like, oh my you, God. Leave a fucking plate on the table. Or I'll kill you. Which plates on the table. Really weird. We need to talk about that in just the two of us. I feel like you're like, you're not writing that down. Um, I, I actually didn't write it down. Plates I just made the connection. The I just made the connection. Got it. Okay. Um, so she is almost in control of everything in her region, but she thinks, you know what? I could own more if I had like a daughter to marry off to a rich guy. And then she goes, wait, I'm a woman. I can just marry myself off to a rich guy. And ah! she does marry herself off into marriage slavery <laughs> to a guy that's nickname is Iron Richard because of all the iron in his castle. But that sounds like Iron Dick. To I me. was going to say it. I was I going it. to say it. Iron Dick. Much better of the Burt clan. <laughs> Cock Tower or whatever he was. Cock Tower Iron Dick. These are these are really <gasps> sensual things. She likes <laughs> I feel like she had that one fling with the siren boy. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Where's my vibrator? I exactly. Where's my vibrating silo? <laughs> <laughs> Where's my iron dick? He's not a real <laughs> person. Um but she is like trying to work everything out. With him, she's like, if we're together for a year and we don't like each other, we'll just split amicably, amicably mm -hmm, done, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we'll both take what we had and go. But she sticks around for a bit. She has a son, her fourth child, with him. Oh, my gosh. And he is like Tiboyet, but goes by Toby in English lore. To back to the office. Tiboyet. <laughs> yeah, back to, here we are back again. Um, her other daughter was named Mindy Cayley. Um, <laughs> uh, but she has that child in that this second marriage. And as the story goes, Grania gave birth. And then shortly after, her ship is attacked. And the boys are up top like, hey, Grania, we need you. Come and help us. So she gets dressed and comes upstairs and starts fighting eight hours after giving birth. What? Eight hours. I don't even understand that. And she also gets this reputation for, like, stopping people in the middle of praying. Because people would, when she was coming into town, people would, like, run to the church and claim sanctuary. And she would be like, you don't fucking believe in God. You're just <laughs> doing this. You're just doing it because Esmeralda. I'm coming. So she would just, like. Stop them from praying and then loot them in the middle of claiming sanctuary, which is no couth, honestly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but they were lying, mostly. So then QE1 uh, messes shit up again by promoting the wrong guy, i.e. not her husband. So to try to protect her husband and money so she doesn't have to start all over again, she goes to see Sir Henry Sidney. And he's like a lord. But this other lord is there. And this lord is recorded as saying the first lord. Sir Sidney, 
says, there came to me a most famous female sea captain called Grace O'Malley and offered me service unto me wheresoever I would command her. So she's like going and is like, give my husband the land he deserves and I'll do what you want. Like I'm willing to be a privateer. I'm willing to get a letter of mark. I will work for the English. Just let me do it. But instead, there's this other lord there, Lord Despin, and to prove his worth to Queen Elizabeth I, he just snatches her up and Mm. takes her to prison in Dublin. Mm. And it's like a prison for super famous people. She spends two years in jail there. She's 50 at this point, 50 years old. And the life expectancy for Irish women at this time was like less than 40. So they call her up and they're like, okay, you've been here for a bit. You're an old lady. You can go. And she goes, what? And they're just like, just don't do pirate anymore. No more pirate. <laughs> and she's like, I'm sorry, where was she? In prison in, in Dublin. In prison in Dublin. Okay. And like they just the English let her prison. go. And they're just like, go ahead. Wow. They were like, I feel like she's old enough that she's not going to like bust down any ships anymore. Wow. And they just let her go. Okay. Um, so in the late 16th century, English power is steadily growing in Ireland and Grania's power is steadily again being encroached upon. The clans are dying. Englishmen are taking all these spots. Her husband, Richard, does eventually get one of the spots that he's entitled to. And they're so happy for three years when he dies, surprisingly, of natural causes. And then she's like, well, fuck. Now I'm a widow again and I have to start back over and I'm in my 50s. Ugh. So she... Calls her job maintenance at land and sea. She does not believe she's a pirate. Um, She's 53. She has a small fleet. She's got some castles. Um, She doesn't have a master. She's got some cattle. And Elizabeth is just totally determined to handle this Irish shit. So she hires this guy, Sir Bingham, who would be the sword in our side for the next decade of Grania's life. He shows up and decides to take her son, Owen, hostage. And he's described um, Sir Bingham as a guy, a tough guy who's small in stature. So he's just, like, making up for it. Okay. Um, Her son ends up dying after he's taken hostage. And Grania, of course, fights back. And Bingham's like, I get that you didn't realize that your son was a jackass. But, like, come over here and I'll pardon you for your crimes because your son died. She goes. I don't know why she goes. And, of course, she's ambushed and sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. She's released, though, eventually, for some reason, even though her gallows are being built, into the hands of an Irish nobleman who showed up to get her named the Irish Hook, who actually had married her daughter of his own free will. So he's, like, showing up to save his mother-in-law. Okay. (laughs) Which, good on him. Yeah. Um, But she... Is like all over Ireland after that. She's like, that guy's like responsible for her. Um, and then Bingham has to leave Ireland for a bit. Sir Bingham, who Elizabeth put there to destroy her life. Um, <laughs> and this other English guy is also there. And that English guy hated him. So she goes to that guy and's like, I want a full pardon for myself, for my sons, for my in-laws. And he's like, is this really going to piss off Bingham? And she's like, yes. And he goes, all right. <laughs> pardons. <laughs> Everything she's ever done. Now, (laughs) I know. Now coming up the coast is the Spanish Armada, which she's been trading with for years, of course. Looks really bad uh, for the English. And the English are like, oh, fuck, all pirates on deck. 
But then a big storm comes and wrecks all of the Spanish ships. <sighs> and the law of salvage means you can go steal their shit. Um, so the English are tracking them, but she had been trading with the Spanish since she was a little baby girl. So the rumor is that to stick it to England, Grania takes her ships, collects the survivors, and gets them back to port to save their lives. All of the Spanish people until they can be rescued. Now, England put out that she murdered them all because they wanted her to seem like the bad guy uh-huh. but saving them made her commit treason that doesn't make any sense like right. she's the good guy yeah she i don't know but one of her sons then is kind of turning towards the english side and he turns against her and she's like fine and levels his whole domain just like destroys all his Whoa. shit she's like i don't care if you're gonna be with english or with english and i mean she and bingham are back and forth for like 10 years they both wanted the other one dead they're not going to move an inch so she bucks up and goes you know who else is a single woman oh because her other husband had died oh we talked about that yeah. you know who else is a single woman who might hear what i have to say the queen <gasps> and i'm like the queen of ireland she thought she was the queen of ireland she did <laughs> not think she was a pirate and queen elizabeth is a queen and she's also single so i'm just gonna like write her a letter and she writes a really fucking long letter and's like here's my family story here's why the world is so difficult for women we live in this world of men like i really feel like we could talk this out and figure out what's good for us she is like grant me to speak with you i hate bingham i want to come talk to you Bingham, of course, writes a letter that's like, don't listen to anything she says. So then Queen Elizabeth is like, oh, her letter told me not to trust men. And then you say, don't listen to anything she says. And now I feel like you're a piece of shit, too. So she's like, I'm going to have this pirate to my castle. Going to have her over. Going to have a little chat. Uh, this is like secret sisterhood of the Yaya. It's whatnot. the Yaya Islands. I love the- this right off of denmark (laughs) 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 um now queen elizabeth also keep in mind her mom is anne boleyn her dad is henry the eighth who's a (laughs) douchebag she's refusing to get married she's the virgin queen she's the reason virginia is named she's paranoid about everybody trying to steal her throne trying to steal her country and she's a queen but she is so jealous of somebody who has actual power Cause she has no power yeah. and she looks at Grania and she's like, you've got four kids. You've been married multiple times. You've had lovers. You've traveled the world. You've done all the things that I want to do. You have like legitimate actual power and yeah. I have nothing. So she comes on over to Greenwich palace. She dresses in the finest dress she can muster. And the two are surrounded by guards, of course, in this Royal court. Um, Grace refused to bow because she said, you're not the queen of Ireland. Like you're the queen of England. So you're not my queen. So I'm not going to bow to you. Um, again, this is all speculation that we've heard. Also, it's rumored that they found a dagger on her when they pat her down. (laughs) And she Ah. was like, that's for me, not for you. I wasn't going to murder you. I swear. Ah. And queen Elizabeth's like, sure. I got it. I understand. You have to kill a guy sometimes. I just feel (laughs) like they're both like, God, men. Am I right? (laughs) Am I right? Yeah, this is why they're joining up. I like the fact that they're like, I totally get why you have a knife on you. And I know it's not for me. And everybody's like, get her out of here. She can't be here with a knife. And she's like, she wasn't going to kill me. Yeah, Sisters. (laughs) I love it. And then um, it's reported that she like kind of sneezed. And then a fancy lady gave her a handkerchief and she blew her nose in it and then threw it in the fire. But it was like the finest silk. And she was like, (laughs) 
what you guys don't have more silk like I, we just ah! throw shit away in ireland like i don't understand what you're talking about oh my gosh we're riddled with silk so an interesting thing is that they have to have a discussion but Grania doesn't speak English and Elizabeth doesn't speak Irish. So they conducted their discussion in Latin <sighs> because they both knew oh. Latin. So they're having this discussion in front of all these people that may or may not speak Latin. And after a very deep discussion, the women agree that Elizabeth would remove Bingham from Ireland and Grace would stop supporting the Irish lords and start support- supporting her needs. Okay. In Ireland. Um, Bingham is removed, uh, for a bit, but like just to, out of her territory, but still in Ireland, but he keeps doing like shitty things to her to like prove that she's supporting England. Like he keeps quartering troops on her land and using all of her resources and being like, I'm not on her land. Oh, they're on her land. He's being like a little bit of a fuck boy. Right. He's okay. being really, really shitty about it. Um, and it just keeps escalating and escalating to the point where Grania like writes back and she's like, I just can't with him. Can you please? And the queen is like, let's help this aged woman. They're like the same age. They're (laughs) 60 and 63. (sighs) They're not that different, but that shows you what a life of salt water will do to Mm -hmm. your features. (laughs) She's not looking like a fiery foxy pirate right now. Yeah, she's she's no Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Who's the other woman? Who's the one when everyone always says? Jane Fonda? Jane Fonda, too. Hotty, hotty, hotty. Mm-hmm. As a like, mm-hmm. 70-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Mm. So great. But she's back. Bingham's gone. He actually ends up dying before her in a fight, fighting with Irishmen, of course. But... He's gone. She's in her 60s. We know that she went back and was a seafaring woman from her 60s to her 70s. As far as we know, she died at Rockfleet Castle in 1603, the same exact year as Queen Elizabeth, after having worked for Queen Elizabeth for, like, the last decade of her life. I love that. The two were, like, in cahoots. Um, The place and the exact way she died is disputed, but we know that it was just a couple months after the Queen. Of her kids, Owen, the eldest, was killed earlier on. Um, Margaret was married off to, like, the guy who saved her. Um, Murrow took um, after his dad and was the one that kind of betrayed her. But then that young son with that second husband became, like, one of the first freaking, like, mayors of, or, like, rulers in Ireland and got, like, a lord title from the English Mm. and, like, took over after his mom and was, like, a really important person in Ireland. More than 20 years after her death, an English lord deputy of Ireland recalled her ability as a leader of fighting men, noting the fame she still had among the Irish people. Sir Bingham, however, said that she was a nurse to all rebellions in the province for the 40 years of this town. That was his quote. But in 2006, Anne Chambers wrote a biography, and I'm not going to read the exact quote, but she describes her as a politician, a mercenary, a rebel, a negotiator, a monarch, a ruler of a tribe, an inheritor, a goddess, and a warrior queen. Whoa. Because she did piratey things, but wasn't a pirate. Yeah. Like that, we know her as the most famous female pirate, but... Most of her story is not at sea looting. Yeah. It's ruling her people and protecting the Irish from English rule. That's incredible. And I didn't know that. 
Yeah, I feel like she's like the Hillary Clinton of her times. We're like, you're a villain. But people, the emails. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, people literally only think of her as like this evil villain. Yeah. And it's like, do you know how difficult it is for <laughs> a woman in politics? Like, and I mean, she like, absolutely murdered people. Yeah. She did. Like, both. <laughs> <laughs> Benghazi. No, she absolutely, absolutely murdered people, like, with her own bare hands. But. How like not I, but and, not but, and she was a leader. I mean, King yeah. Henry VIII murdered people with his hands, and we call yeah. him the king. And we're like, wow, what a smart thing he did by murdering those people, right? Like, <laughs> so I just I found her story really interesting because I thought I would be at sea a lot longer. Yeah, and I thought that there would be more stealing. Also, like how interesting that like. To go to the fucking queen of the country you hate and be like, let me reason with you, girl. Like, woman to woman. Woman to woman. I love that. Let's talk it out. All right. Well, let's get woman to woman in a little segment we like to call <laughs> Just the Two of Us. We're starting with the plates. All right. We're starting with the plates. I can't because this family was not being gracious and she was like, you will forever add an extra plate. Yeah. And Corey's family was being overly gracious and had yeah. to hide the extra plate. I do think it's interesting because I feel like we're also talking about women in hospitality. <laughs> like <laughs> women are always meant to be prepared for unexpected guests. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this comedian who does this really great bit about how like, He's like, back in, like, when I was a kid, he was like, my mom always had, like, an Entman's crumb cake, you know, like, coffee cake, like, set it, and she's like, that's for company, just for when people fucking randomly stop by. And I have to, like, say, do you want some dessert? Yeah, exactly, which, like, doesn't really happen anymore. He was like, you know, <laughs> he's like, people ring the doorbell now, and it's like, get on the ground. Who the <laughs> hell is that? Turn the like, off. <laughs> it's Halloween, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... I feel like there is this burden on women concerning hospitality that I think is very skewed yeah. of like, I know like if Casey, we have a very strict rule of like, I need at least a half an hour's notice before anyone comes into the house. Yo, Jake will call me and be like, I'm five minutes away. My boss is coming. Over. No, that's like, unacceptable. Fuck. <laughs> I throw everything in a trash bag and run it down the basement. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, the pillows are upside down. (laughs) But like, I think that it's interesting seeing these two things of like, you know, Corey is being actively like welcoming of these people that she's helping in her home. But then having to be like, get your fucking plate off the table, <laughs> you, you know, and then Grace as a person who is probably taught by like years and years of like womanhood, like, no, you always have an extra plate set out for guests because like that's knocks, your duty. You them. Yeah. You asshole. Exactly. And we're also, we're talking about two different types of, you know, knocking, clip clopping, you know, like. <laughs> because it's interesting because the people that are coming to Corey's house are there to actively harm her. Oh yeah. And actively harm the people in her house. So it's also two very different like ideas of like, who are you protecting and who are you guarded against? Because they're both protecting people that they feel need protection. Right. Like 
we have the Irish people who are obviously being like overtaken by the English. And we have the Jews who are obviously being weeded out and sent to concentration camps by the Jews. So it's kind of like the different ways that women have learned to protect the people around them and like what works because it's going to be different for everyone. Grace couldn't have done a, a Corey (laughs) and Corey couldn't have done a grace. Like, I mean, they were both also, and one of them really deserved to be in prison and the other didn't. And they were both let out for no reason, for no reason at all. I was so baffled by that. (laughs) How weird is that? Just let them out of prison. Go ahead. I don't know. And I just feel like there is this like weird, like spiritual thing, moving these women through the world and getting them farther than they should go. Oh yeah. Like I was thinking about like the two mottos we heard from Grace's um, own clan and the clan she married into were like, invincible at land and sea and favor, favor the, bold. the bold and i just feel like for your hundred food stamps girl. yeah bold and invincible seems to sum up these women in very different ways of like Corey was bold because she had like the holy spirit like going through her and being like you will be bold i will make you bold and i feel like grace is just channeling all of these really strong family national ties and like like, yeah, I am going to be invincible and bold, and I'm going to make it further. Both of these women made it further than they fucking should have. Yeah. I mean, they should have died at much younger ages. Absolutely. They were both also fluent in multiple languages and traveled yes. the world, which is really interesting because, I mean, and I guess, you know, Netherlands, the Netherlands and Ireland are in a pocket of the world where it is beneficial to know French, English, yeah. Spanish, like you should be able to talk to all these people, but it's not a requirement. And yeah. they did it anyway. And they did. Because they had to be better. They had to be more right. in order to do what they needed to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I also think it's really interesting that they both kind of went to their father's businesses. Yeah. Like, Grace wasn't like, oh, yeah, dad, just marry me off and that'll be fine. She was like, no, I'm going to be a pirate, too. I and will chop my hair off. <laughs> and Corey was like, I'm going to be a watchmaker, too, and I'm going to do this. And, like, they both kind of took the torches from their dads. And their dads seemed to, like, willingly give it to them of, like, yeah, you're going to be awesome. And I believe in you. Go ahead, my girl. <laughs> get it, get like, it. One of the stereotypes that we talk about, like, women who we talk about on this show is, like, a lot of them, like, their dads believed in them, which I think is so important to women back then and still to women now. I think people think we can like get by with like, you know, parents not believing in their kids, but like it is so important. And it always has been it's like, obviously really, kids thrive without it, but like, it's really powerful. Like we, we talk about male sponsorship a lot, mm-hmm. but the basis of male sponsorship comes from your home. Yeah. How do your, how does your father um, if you have one or your brothers, how do they feel about you? Yeah. How do they treat you? How does your husband treat you? The mm-hmm. basis of male sponsorship is at home. Yeah. And if you get past that layer of difficulty, then all you have to contend with is the world. And yeah. that doesn't matter if you've got a good foundation. Yeah. And they both had that. They had a oh, dad that was like, did. get it, girl. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, she was married to God. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. She was a bride um, of Christ. <laughs> but I also feel like. And I feel like this kind of came from their dads of like value the people around you, you know, like grace actively was like, 
I'm focused on the people on my ship because like if I'm good with them, they're going to work harder for me. And you mean female bosses are great? Uh, yeah. <sighs> and like I feel like she just never like Grace didn't treat people as disposable, which, you know, if you talk to like anyone in like our sister-in-law Olivia's field of like, you know, I forget what it's like. Business, it's like business psychology or like organizational psychology, whatever it is. I'm so sorry, Olivia, but like whatever that is, it's like the number one thing is like treat the people around you with care and respect and like, you will make more money. Right. It's you like will the promote joy. What brought you joy today? Yeah. And I feel like Corey did that where she was like, I'm appreciating and respecting the people around me. So I'm going to help them. You know, even if, and this is a big if, like they were former Nazis that like I would probably love to murder. Like even if I they killed my husband and my son and like are going after me. Yeah. Like even if they cause so much pain for people, like, she saw everyone as like okay like these are people who like and i think she also saw them as like these are people that can't cause harm anymore Mm -hmm. like the nazis are over for now until you know the 2000s um or whatever but like you know i feel like she was like no like even though these people did really terrible things like i still value them as humans and they Mm -hmm. still need help you know and i feel like just valuing people is a really complex and difficult thing. And I think they both did that in such different ways. I also think like, I wonder like Corey got to tell her own story and like to be her own voice. Um, and the Nazis lost. Yeah. I wonder what life and, um, Grania's story would have been like if the Irish didn't, succumb to the English if yeah. she did get her records told because the story could have looked very different she might have not been as vicious as we think she is yeah we don't know like and you know of course they didn't make it all up but she might have been seen more like Boudica like a warrior yeah. instead of just like a murdering pirate yeah it's so true like I was just listening to this thing the other day about like what stories are told you know and I was listening to it was um, an episode of this is love And it was a black woman who had worked in the Rosie the Riverdale era. And she has worked forever in the Rosie the Riverdale, like, National Park to tell the other story. Right. And she's like, you know, I fought for the Rosie the Riverdale story to be more inclusive because we tell that story and we say, like, women went to work and then they were told not to work. And she was like, I was there. And she was like black women were working for like long before <laughs> the yeah, war we happened yeah we did episode. and she was like really instrumental in being like no like other stories need to be told it's like yes we have like Anne bonnie and mary reed but also the story of grace o'malley needs to be told and we have the story of Anne frank but also the story of Corey needs to be told you know and like who all was there right and what all was happening because if we don't look at the nuance between the situations like so much is lost i mean i just feel like sometimes when we do this i'm like a detective with a map on the wall and i'm like connecting the dots with yarn like it's how it feels after like years and years of loving history and loving like you know the the history of women it's like 
I am only now connecting the dots. I never would have connected the dots between Corey and Anne Frank and um, Audrey Hepburn. Have yeah. not I been a part of this podcast? Oh, yeah. All three of them, same place, same time. I see them as entirely different people. Me too. Yeah. And it's like, it's incredible that you can connect those things. And like, also, that is true of Grania and um, Corey. Mm-hmm. Totally different eras. Totally different in the way they impacted society, but some very similar trends. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I just feel like also, uh, to end on a really interesting note, I love that you said she took up space, and I feel like Corey was so good at using her space wisely. Gotta hide that space. Gotta hide that space. Get in that hiding place. (sighs) I always think about that whenever... um, a woman is respected. Yeah. I like did this like seminar in college where they were like, I really want you all to look at how you're sitting right now. And all the women had their legs like tangled together and their shoulders in. And it I was, mean, how am I sitting right now? Exactly. <laughs> and it was like, like you don't understand that. Like when you stand, when you sit, you stand and sit small because yeah. you're trying to not impact the people around you. And mm-hmm. men don't think about that. The way yeah. they stand is literally in people's way. Yeah. And it's just like legs out, arms out, shoulders back, head up. Yeah. And we're not taught to sit like that. We're taught to like taught to like collapse like into shrink. ourselves, be yeah. small. Um, and so like whenever I'm like, okay, I gotta take up space. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta stretch like, out. Starfish. <laughs> um, I am Patrick. <laughs> um, okay, I think we did it. All right. Well, Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast women that are given the wrong title Mm. so we think that um grania absolutely participated in piracy but i don't think she was a pirate and i think that's true of a lot of people like there's a lot of people like military people are in the military and there's a lot of things that they do that you would only label as bad if they're on the other side yeah so she's labeled as a pirate because she's on the other side but really Mm -hmm. she was a leader she was a merchant And she was a warrior. Yeah. And I think that that goes for a lot of people that they're labeled incorrectly. And she, I personally believe, and I don't want to take away from people who love piracy because (laughs) it is a really cool thing to be like the famous female pirate. But there are like, Ching, she was a fucking pirate. Yeah. Uh She was a pirate. Yeah. Grace O'Malley was a warrior leader queen. Mm -hmm. So let's call her something different. Perfect. Cheers. Cheers. So, Corey was a difficult one because there are so many things that I want to toast her for. You know, I want to toast her for being brave, for being thoughtful, for being a tool for, because she always says like, you know, like I am like the Lord's hand. Like I am stepping back from this. I am not like, this is not me. Like tool for goodness. A tool for goodness. Like, but really at the end of the day, like I am going to toast her for the thing that I struggle most with and I'm going to toast her for forgiving people I have such a hard time with that like I feel like and like you know Allie and I have been having some family drama this week which has been so upsetting and I've been really working and like I told someone straight up in my family like I was like I can't talk to you right now I need two days and I said I was like I need just some time let me decompress I need to because I you know, I told him, I was like, I 
don't, I would rather you be mad at me for a little while than mad at me forever because I said something that I can't take back. Right. And like, I just, I'm having a hard time like forgiving this person in my family and I'm just really struggling with it. And I found a lot of strength in Corey's story this week of like forgiveness. You and know, I, she would say that that's God working in her story. You fucking I know. know it. You fucking I know. know it. Maybe it is. I don't know. It but like beautiful. It's, it's just, really good timing for you. It is good timing for me just because I am. I, I, I struggle with anger a lot and resentment courses through my veins like a poison and <laughs> you cut Ga- katie her blood is green it is just I know. <laughs> so i just want to toast women who forgive because it's so hard and um it's really difficult and i i don't know so cheers <laughs> but that thing they say they say um not forgiving somebody is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Carrie Fisher said that. Oh, there it is. I was like, I don't know. Well, it's, um, it's, it's not, not forgiving. It's, um, resentment. Maybe? Something like that. Cause I, I actually thought of that quote when I was doing this toast, but yeah, it's a quote of hers. That's like, yeah. Like something You're the like one that. Dealing like with the pain. I'm the one. And also I thought of a quote. I, saw my friend Ashley this week and I was talking to her about everything and she said something that really struck me. She was like, you know, I'm going to (laughs) quote fantastical beasts (laughs) when Newt Scamander says like, you know, someone's like, Oh, like, aren't you like, like worried or anxious? And he's like, why would I suffer twice? He's (laughs) like, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So like, if I'm worrying about it the whole time before, like, then I'm going to suffer twice. And like, I feel like that's how I'm feeling right now. I've like, I feel like I'm suffering twice. Right. So anyways, shout out to Ashley. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to promote this app on my phone that I've had for a couple months now. It's so great. What is it? It's Google Fit. So I don't have like a Fitbit or a smartwatch or anything. So I literally only have like my phone that tracks my walking when it's in my pocket. Okay. So I downloaded this app and I can put into it I can log in all the things I do like you know when I do yoga in the morning or when I go rock climbing for an hour and it tracks all of my activity to kind of be like you did better this week than like maybe you thought you know and then it's like it's really nice it's nice just like seeing the things that you do like laid out you know and then you know like I pulled my hamstring recently and like so like those weeks were blank but like I know why you know and that's like oh okay like that was only three weeks. Like that wasn't too bad. That wasn't as bad as I thought. And like, it just, it provides such a good snapshot of like all the things that you do. And it also, you can set it to connect to your phone and it tracks your steps too. Right. You know, so it's just really nice. And it just counts like more than just your steps, which I think is really important. Yeah, it is important, and there's, there's, um, I'm sure there's a lot of apps that do it, but it is really nice when you can see it laid out in front of you, and you're like, I'm not as much of a shithead as I thought I was. Right, and you right. can log in things like, I gardened for an hour today, yeah, you know, I'm I did yard sweating. work, yeah. and it's like, and be like, okay, great, well, like, you know, we're gonna, and the thing I like, too, is um, it gives you, like, heart points, you know, it'll take in your age and, like, whatever for consideration, and it, like, my thing is, like, you need to reach 150 heart points, like 150 like 
moments or whatever were like, or minutes where like your heart rate was up above a certain time, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's like a lot of things can count towards that that you don't really think of. Or like walking up the steps. Yeah. So it's just like nice to like, you know, have something that lays out everything and that I can put things that aren't usually tracked on just a step counter. So Google Fit. I love it. Great. <laughs> what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay, so producer, now that like COVID was on a downswing, he's been like doing his job again. <laughs> yeah, which is like, like his real, real job. Real, real job, which is like going out and like doing schmoozing. fancy dinners and <laughs> schmoozing people. Um, so he's been gone. So what I've taken to doing, because my sister lives here and my two daughters live here, like on nights when he's gone, we just watch a chick flick together. Which is all like... <gasps> Buckle down and watch a chick flick. So we watched Grease this week. <laughs> and obviously the girls have never seen Grease, but I'm not promoing Grease. This is what's even better. So Grease too. No. <laughs> no, Katie. <laughs> so I'm watching Grease and there's just I mean, I'm very open with my kids, so like there's a lot of things that are said in the movie that you're like, didn't age well. Didn't age well. Didn't age well. And specifically, yeah. like, Eliza was like, they're 40. She kept being like, that person they're so is, old. <laughs> is 40. So I was like, Liza, I know. It's like, not the point. All of those actors were on, like, Medicaid when they made that movie. <laughs> they really were. But afterwards, the girls went to bed, and Marjorie and I watched the Grease College Humor sketch. And I'm <laughs> promoing college humor. And there's the song. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. Okay, it's the song Summer Loving. But every time it gets to the boys and Kaniki says something really inappropriate, they're like, whoa, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the first one is actually a line from the song where it's like, did she put up a fight? And they're, they're like, like, whoa. They're like, whoa, does that Why would she to have to put up a <laughs> and, like, fight? Throughout, they're like, man, if you did something, you know you can tell <laughs> us. <laughs> just such a good and funny like after you watch the movie and you're feeling like oh my god what is, what is our culture <laughs> and like because i'm like girls you lo- you love th- you'll love like, this movie and then i'm like never watch it again it's terrible the song grease lightning literally talks about a girl like creaming her pants yes like it's so outrageous it really is got a bun in the oven yeah I just, <laughs> anyway it was just a really good like three minute sketch right after the kids went to bed that we could just like laugh it out and being like okay the world's not that bad there's a group of boys that understand that this is inappropriate <laughs> oh that's great so i'm promoting college humor's <laughs> take on summer loving <laughs> and i know that was a long story but it was important to get all the details perfect so um find us everywhere we have a lot of social media you can like and love and be on with us you can join our patron mm-hmm. um and you'll get extra snippets. Sometimes I post pictures of me researching. Sometimes I post pictures of me and Katie when we were babies. <laughs> Sometimes I post just random fucking updates about Ooh. like, I'm going back to school, so don't expect me to like you today. There we go. Shit like that. But you can find us everywhere. Yeah. And we'll probably post pictures of my wedding in a couple months, oh. which will be so exciting. So oh my gosh. if you want to see me get married, come on to Patreon. Or find me on Instagram. No, just kidding. <laughs> or find me on Instagram. Um, or find Alan on Instagram. <laughs> you guys can have my Instagram. A lot of you are on my Instagram, so it's fine. I know. As long as you message me and you're like, I listen to the podcast, you'll be in. 
It's fine. I think mine's, I made mine not private anymore. Cause I was like, ah, oh, really? people who listen to podcasts, like, you know, they can follow me. Mine has to be private because of school. Oh, that's Bye. right. All right. Well, I'm cool for cats. So if you want to <laughs> follow me, I'm public and I never post anything. Um, I used to get drunk and do like sex in the city recaps, yeah, but now fun. I'm like a hermit. Yeah. You've really changed. <laughs> I've changed for the worst of it. No, I like it. So if you want to see more from me, let me know and I'll post more. I love a social media ghost, um, but we love you guys. <laughs> And never forget that well-behaved women uh, don't talk with their hands. No, they don't. And they really make history. Goodbye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye